The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. David played and it pleased the Lord 
Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Thank you, thank you. I have to ask you a question. It's a very troubling question. It's one I've been asking myself. Am I but half converted? Am I but half converted? Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. It really is time for some very honest conversation. We're coming into a season of the year when it's party time. And the question hangs, am I but half converted? It's a very troubling question because if we look at just the evidence in our lives as Americans, most of us would have to say we're but half converted. Now, we have believed the false grace people. I believe them too at one time who teach that the grace of Jesus is a covering over for us. It's not a removal of our sin. It's just it covers over our sin. So when Jesus looks at us, he doesn't see us. He sees himself. That's a very comfortable cop-out. doesn't work with Scripture, though. Some people get really angry with me. And because of last week and this week's broadcasts, I've noticed people are dropping off the subscription list because they don't want to hear these kinds of things. I have to say I'm wanting to be the pastor of Reelsville. I don't want to play games with my salvation. I don't want to play games with God. And I certainly don't want to play games with you. For if I do, your blood will be on my hands. I don't want the blood of your heart on my hands. I want to be very clear about what the requirements are for the gospel of Jesus. Paul wrote to the church at Galatia. In chapter 1, I'll begin reading in verse 6. Now, this is a very popular scripture for the the false grace people to read. They claim it as their own, and they claim that those of us who say that there is a synergistic cooperation between man and God to work out man's salvation, they scorn that. They say you can't even repent until after you're saved. Utter foolishness. But I'll begin reading in verse 6. I'm amazed that you so quickly have become apostate. That's the literal translation of the Greek word. It literally means 
to change one's loyalty as a follower, turn from, desert, become apostate. Now, listen, I'm amazed that you so quickly have turned or become apostate from the one having called you in the grace of Christ into a different gospel, which is not another gospel of the same kind, except there are certain ones throwing you into confusion, even desiring to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel out of heaven may continue to preach to you a gospel besides that which we preach to you, he must be given over to damnation. Pretty strong language. As we've said before, I say even yet again, if any man preaches to you a gospel, besides that which you received, he must be given over to damnation. For do I now strive to please men or God? Or am I seeking to please men? Now, if I were still pleasing men, I would not be a servant of Jesus. Now, this gospel is up for grabs in America. It's been cast down. It's been refused. The true gospel. And in its place has come a cheap, greasy grace that claims that you are saved separate from anything that you do. And that's simply not true. As I shared yesterday, there was an atonement made on the cross by Jesus. When he died for us, he shed his blood for us. That atonement is of no benefit to me until I access the benefits by the promises of God. Until I appropriate that shed blood for me and allow the Holy Spirit to totally change me and turn me from my wicked ways and from my sin, then that blood avails me nothing. The cheap grace people say, no, don't worry about it. <clears throat> You're saved. You're on your way to heaven. Never mind that Paul says in chapter 2, Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's not easy to be crucified. <clears throat> and the problem we're facing is that we American Christians <clears throat> have not really been crucified. We've believed a cheap gospel. I'm not willing to believe a cheap gospel. I want the gospel of Jesus. He says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I still am. On the other hand, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and that life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, the one having loved me and having handed himself over in my behalf. 
Do you get what he's saying? The life he lives now, he lives in Christ. If you're living a normal Christian life for America, if you're going about your business, you're watching the TV, you're enjoying life, you have the lifestyle of America, you don't know Jesus yet. And you with me need to ask the question, am I but half converted? I first ran into that phrase in reading history with Jonathan Edwards. He took over the pastorate of his grandpa. And his grandpa had compromised. And he allowed half-converted people into the church because they wanted the services of a Christian burial, Christian marriage, the baptism of their of their family, while they were not completely sold out to the gospel and were still living in sin. Jonathan Edwards, who was, as you might know, reformed, a Calvinist, utterly rejected the half-converted and expelled them from his church, made a lot of people angry. He said, don't expect to receive a Christian marriage or a Christian burial or baptism or the Eucharist. Don't expect that if you are still living in rebellion against the Most High God, if money is still your idol, if gossip and bitterness and anger still reside in your heart, if you're still fornicating, if you're still walking in wickedness before God, then none of these things can be given to you in the body of Christ. We do well to think about that and honestly ask the question, have I simply molded the gospel of Jesus to fit with my lifestyle so that I can have what I want I can go about my life and I can enjoy the idea that I'm saved. One of the common comforts that I find people run to after a loved one dies, like a husband or a wife, they take the position that The person is still looking over us, even though they lived an ungodly life and certainly are not going to go into the kingdom of God above. Oh, but they're they're in the star. They're in the Santa Claus. They're here. They're there. They're, They're looking out for us. They're making us promises. We comfort ourselves with things that are so false, such lies. I don't want to live like that. I want the truth. The famous movie where the actor said, you can't take the truth. The truth is not easy. You know that Jesus Christ is the truth. The person, Jesus, 
So when we come to Second Peter, let's begin in chapter 2, verse 18. For speaking boastful words of vanity, they entice by the lust of the flesh, by unchecked immorality, the ones having escaped, those who have escaped, those living in air. In other words, he's speaking about a people who will come into the body of Christ at the end time. And they will promise them freedom while they themselves are existing as slaves of destruction. For by whom anyone is overcome, even by this he has been enslaved. So these people come in and they say, don't worry about your sin. Don't worry about your drug habit. As one man sat weeping, speaking with me, he said, I I went to my pastor of a very large and well-known Presbyterian church in in Virginia. And he said, "I, I said to the pastor, I'm a Coke addict. Surely Jesus can deliver me from this Coke. And the pastor said, don't worry about it. Jesus loves you. You're saved. You're on your way to heaven. So don't worry about your your Coke habit. And he said, Pastor, is that true? I said, no, it's not true. Either you allow the blood of Jesus to break that habit of Coke addiction, or you will go to hell as it is with all sin. All sin must be broken by the power of the blood of Jesus, not by white-knuckling it, by Jesus. Now, if after having escaped the defilement of the world by a full knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and having been entangled by those things again and they are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. Indeed, it was better for them to have not fully known the way of righteousness than after having fully known it to turn away from the holy commandment, having been delivered to them. But the matter of the true proverb has happened to them, a dog having returned back to his own vomit and a sow, after having been washed, turned back to her wallowing in the mire. Now, what he's saying is that it's possible that you can be saved and then fall from that grace and be lost. Now, I want you to, I want you to look with me closely at verse 20. Now, if after having escaped the defilement of the world, by a full knowledge of the Lord. Now, that word knowledge we spoke of in the beginning of our study. I want to take you back there to the first chapter. I'll begin reading with verse 2. Grace to you, and may peace be multiplied by the full knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, 
as all things for life and godliness have been given to us by his divine power through the full knowledge of the one having called us for glory and moral excellence, through which things he has given to us the precious and great promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having already escaped from the corruption in the world by lust. Well, that that phrase used twice in that brief passage in the first chapter, the full knowledge of God. having been set free by the full knowledge of God. Well, what is that full knowledge referring to? Well, as we shared earlier, and I need to review quickly for you, some people say gnosis, but really in the Greek it's gnosis, the G is silent. It's what we usually speak of when we speak of knowledge. And this knowledge is centered in in the human heart, in the human mind. It's what we perceive, it's what we see, it's what we understand. And this question that I've raised at the very beginning of the broadcast, are you, are you but half converted? Really comes back to this question of gnosis. You have a great deal of knowledge and understanding about the theology, the eschatology, the the strategies for success. You have a great deal of understanding in some respects about the gospel. And you've changed some things. You've, you've upped your game and you've maybe quit drinking or quit smoking or quit fornicating. you still know that you have not gained the victory. Well, the reason you have not gained the victory is that you've been operating in the gnosis, the the knowledge that is self-centered, so that when you look out at the world, you're saying, okay, what do I need to do? How do I need to deal with this person so that they will love me and respect me? How do I need to deal with my boss so that I will be favored and advanced? How do I need to deal with this so that I can have the money to pay my rent or my mortgage or purchase that car or purchase those gifts that I want to give to people? Everything is flowing out of, okay, what do I need to do to be on top of my game? This is gnosis. And if this is how you operate, then you are but half converted. You've really not come into Jesus Christ yet. This gnosis is what we learned in school and what we learned in Sunday school. It's what we've been taught about the gospel. It's an intellectual understanding of the gospel and of end-time events. See, part of what makes Pilgrim's Progress different from many other broadcasts is that, frankly, I'm not interested in Gnosis. I've not come to teach you these wonderful secrets of Scripture and 
believe me, there are many wonderful secrets in the scripture. But that's not my focus. It's not what God called me to this broadcast to do. There are wonderful teachers, godly teachers. I appreciate them. But I'm frankly over the idea of gnosis. It's what I was taught in the seminary. Never once in all of my time at at graduate school and seminary or undergraduate studies, never once did anyone, any professor ever suggest you need to read your Bible, you need to pray, you need to fast, you need to give gifts to the poor. Those basic Christian disciplines. Instead, it was New Testament intro, Old Testament intro, archaeology, theology, eschatology, prophecy. All of the ins and outs of all of these issues. The debates, what one man believed and what another man believed. That's why in graduate school, I had to read Calvin's Institutes. But never in a conservative Christian seminary did they ever raise the true issue of holiness, of godliness, of being completely converted. You know that word, you know what it means. It means a sharp twist. Repentance is turning away and going another direction, but converted is a sharp twist. It's where we finally see ourselves for who we are and we recognize the desperateness of our condition before God and we go after Jesus. We go after Jesus with all of our heart. We earnestly desire Jesus. He consumes us. We're we're absorbed in Jesus. We can't stop reading the scriptures. We can't stop praying. Our heart cries out for more of Jesus. So this word that we read as gnosis, well, there's another word in the Greek that's used. And that word is Epignosis. Epignosis. It means something very, very different. Epignosis means, and that's the word used here in the first chapter of Second Peter. The epignosis is, it is beginning to understand that everything is found in Jesus. It's an involvement with Jesus at a very specific and deep level. It is no longer looking at the world from my eyes. It is seeing the world. It is seeing my own heart from God's perspective. See, I can't make the judgment whether I'm saved or lost. I can't make the judgment whether I'm converted or not converted based on gnosis. 
that knowledge can't give me that information. It has to be on the basis of epignosis. It has to be looking at my life from Jesus' perspective, from the scriptures. Do I measure up to what the scriptures have told me my life needs to be about? And if you want to really look at this very closely, get on your knees and read aloud the Sermon on the Mount. Moses gave the Ten Commandments of the Law on Mount Sinai. Jesus gave the New Testament outline of understanding of how a man or woman is to walk in the Sermon on the Mount. One very famous radio broadcaster said, you cannot live the Sermon on the Mount until we're in that thousand-year rule of Jesus over the earth. You can't do it. Well, he's right. You can't do it in your flesh. Your flesh has to be crucified. And then you give up this world, and you give up operating by gnosis, and you take up something totally different. So when we come over here in the second chapter, let me read this for you again. Verse 19, promising them freedom while they themselves are existing as slaves of destruction. For by whom one is overcome, even this he has been enslaved. So whatever captures your heart is what you're enslaved to. Some of you are enslaved to money. Some of you are enslaved to style and dress. Some of you are enslaved to food. You're a foodie. Some of you are enslaved to fornication and sexual uncleanness. Some of you are enslaved to being liked, to being popular, to being successful. Whatever it is that has overcome you and has become the primary focus of your heart, whether it's work or relationships, whatever it is that has captured your heart, that thing has enslaved you. Now, if after having escaped the defilements of the world by a full knowledge of the Lord, I want you to look at that carefully. Escape the defilements of the world by a full epignosis of the Lord and of the Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, you gain the victory I gain the victory in Jesus Christ. I am fully converted to Jesus Christ. Not by something I try to do, even though there will be doing involved. And we'll look later at the book of James where it speaks about the doing. 
if after having escaped the defilements of the world by a full epignosis of the Lord. In other words, as I begin to look at the world through the eyes of Jesus, I escape the defilements of the flesh. As I begin to understand the love of Jesus Christ, as I begin to understand what he did when he came and died on Calvary to offer his life as an atoning sacrifice for you and for me, as I begin to fully enter into Jesus and understand who he is, I then can have, through the promises of God, I can then have a full victory in him. I cannot have that full victory through gnosis. And many of you have a form of godliness, a form of religion, a sentimental attachment, but you're still looking at the world through your own eyes. What will benefit me? What will profit me? How can I get ahead? How can I get what I want? Instead of, how can I please Jesus? What does he want from me? What is the will of Jesus now for this money that I have received? A friend called me and said, I just want to make sure I have your address because I know you moved. I'd like to send you this gift. Now, I immediately went to the Lord with that and said, Lord, thank you. It's not mine, it's yours. All that I have, I've given to you. How would you like me to use that gift? And he's begun to tell me, as I've prayed this through, who he wants me to help. Some have been very surprising to me. I said, Lord, okay. I'll do that. Even though I'm surprised. In other words, I no longer am allowed to live my life for Ray. I live my life out of Jesus Christ. And the reason I raise this question of am I but half converted is that I see I see deep-seated tendencies in my heart that still want it to be about me, what I want. And I've just said, Lord, in your name, I crucify those things. I will not accept them. Devil, get behind me. I am not going to accept the bait you're throwing out for me 
that will draw me into self-centeredness, that will draw me into wickedness, that will draw me into sin. I'm not going there. I am given to Jesus Christ. He is my Lord, and he is my Savior, and I will do what he wants me to do with every aspect of my life. Would I watch? Where I go? What I say? I want it to flow directly out of the heart of Jesus at the direction of the Holy Spirit. I don't want it to flow out of me. Do you see why I ask the question, am I but half converted? And some of you, you know immediately. You don't even need to ask the question. You know your lifestyle is self-centered. You don't look at life through the eyes of Jesus. You look at the eyes of your flesh, of your gnosis, and you say, how can I get what I want? Oh, I want this with Jesus. Okay, how can I get this from Jesus? No. What I want from Jesus is a full knowledge of him an epignosis, a transformation that I will live in such a manner that the devil has no hold on me, who has no power to touch me, that I will resist the devil so that he will flee from me. Now, it says, those who have that full epignosis, not those who have gnosis, but those who have the full knowledge of the Lord, who are filled by his spirit, who have walked in absolute service to Jesus Christ. He's saying when they have been entangled once again, and they are overcome by the temptations, Their last state is worse than it was before they were converted. They've gone back like a sow, like a pig. They've gone back to the pig pen. I know people like this. Now, please understand that once saved, always saved is a lie. You can lose your salvation. And anyone who tells you you cannot is of the first category out of Galatians. They are false teachers. Now, I once was sitting with my my father in the faith in his office in New York City, in Manhattan, at the Times Square Church, Pastor David Wilkerson. And I said to him, Brother David, do you believe in eternal security? And he laughed. And he said, yes, Ray. Brother Ray, he called me. I believe for the eternal security of the eternally faithful. 
He was right. That is the teaching of Scripture. Now, I have to take you back to a very well-known passage of Scripture. It's found in the book of John, the Gospel of John. But we need to look at it for for the same reason we're looking at this question, are you half converted? Jesus speaking to his disciples, I am the vine, the true one. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me not bearing fruit, he cuts it off. And every every branch bearing fruit, he always prunes. He prunes it that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean by the by the means of the word that I've spoken to you. You must remain in union with me, and I with you. You see, so many today, and I've been guilty of this, trying to live the Christian life without being connected to the vine. This is gnosis. It's religion. I don't like religion. Jesus is saying, look, I am the vine. And if you're not bearing fruit by being connected to me, you're going to be cut off. And if you are bearing fruit, you're going to be pruned. In other words, your foliage will be trimmed off. Now it's easy to, it's easy to ask the question, am I only half converted? because we see all of the foliage of our life has been cut off. But the acid test for whether we are fully converted or but half converted is are you in union with Jesus, not intellectual union, but in literal union. Are you in union with Jesus? And if you are in union with Jesus, the sign will be that the Father is pruning you. He's cutting you back. He's taking off the foliage. Well, what's the foliage? The foliage is what makes me look good. And part of what I've had to face is that the Father has trimmed me down until it looks like I'm dead. And out of that, I can easily go to despair and say, Lord, Where's the victory in bearing fruit for you? I stand by faith that I'm converted. I stand by faith that I don't walk in the human knowledge. I don't casually say that to you, however. And I do periodically have to visit this question. The question was raised 
by godly men of the past where they have asked the question, Lord, am I am I going to be cast into hell? And they've had to really search their hearts over this issue. They've had to examine themselves. They've had to say, wait, 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 wait. I, I see my shallowness. I see the lack of my heart's cry for Jesus. I, I seem so shallow. Am I going to be cast into hell? Charles Finney really struggled with that question. He was exhausted from preaching and teaching. And he asked that question of the Lord in his prayer. And he got no answer. And he sought the Lord. And finally he said to the Lord, Lord, if you need to cast me into hell, it's all right. Whatever you want is what I want. But you're going to have a hard time with me because when I'm in hell, all I'm going to do is praise you and worship you and lift up my hands. For you have made of me a new man. And finally, it dawned on him that if he was absolutely determined that he would worship the Lord and serve the Lord even from hell, that the Lord could not send him to hell. The love of God would not allow that. That's part of what I've done with this question of, am I but half converted? I've said, Lord, if I'm but half converted, and you must cast me into hell, I will praise you from there. I've said, Lord, you know me well enough to know I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give in to the devil. I'll make mistakes. I may even sin against you, but I will quickly repent. And I will gain the victory because I will resist the devil and he will flee from me. So he says, you must remain in union with me. That's epignosis. That's Remaining in Jesus and not remaining in myself and out of myself obeying some kind of religious belief or some kind of religious practice. That's not union with Jesus. That's works that we practice because we think that might earn us something with God. I don't want to earn something with God. Jesus paid it all on Calvary's tree. I can't add anything to what Jesus already paid on Calvary for me. He made a full atonement for me. And by his precious promises, I can enter now into Jesus Christ. Not by my works, but by his power, by his grace, 
and be made clean, be washed, be purified, without spot or wrinkle. I have the victory in Jesus Christ. If I'm not operating out of my own knowledge and my own self-centered desires, we desire to grasp a hold of Jesus because he's so clean, he's so beautiful, he's so wonderful, and we want to bring that Jesus into our wicked heart and walk half-converted. That's an anathema before God. He does not want us to walk half-converted before him. You must remain, verse 4, you must remain in union with me and I with you. Just as the branch is not able to bear fruit from itself, if it may not remain in the vine, so neither can you. He says that if, if you're just in gnosis, the day will come when he will cut you off and you will wither. What religion you have will be, it'll disappear because it's about you. It's not about Jesus. Please today hear my heart. I ask you to join me in asking very honestly the question, am I but half converted? Am I operating out of gnosis? Am I operating out of my own self-knowledge and my own establishment of my own religion and my own practice and my own understandings? Or have I come into Jesus and now does his strength flow into me? Am I looking at the world? Am I looking at myself? Am I looking at other men and women through the eyes of Jesus? Or am I still self-centered, full of myself and my own desires? I am the vine, you are the branches. The one remaining in union with me and I with him, this one bears much fruit. Because apart from me, you are not able to do anything. We've come to a point where we have to be honest. Is our whole focus on establishing our own holiness, our own righteousness? The holiness church so quickly goes to legalism. Legalism is such an ugly thing to me. Righteousness is all by grace. Paying the price for my sin is all by grace in Jesus Christ. It is unmerited favor but it is true, it is righteous, it is holy, and it transforms me into the likeness of Jesus, and it draws me into his very heart. And I now begin to look at the world, not through what I owe, not through what I can do. I begin to look at the world and the people of the world through the eyes of Jesus, and I have compassion in my heart for the lost and the dying, and I spare nothing in my giving for the work of the kingdom. Oh, Lord, I've spoken the word you gave to me. I pray you'll come and quicken this word and and that you will lead in the people who will listen to this word. Lord, I ask that you would have the supremacy and that by your divine promises we can utterly and totally and completely enter into your atoning sacrifice and by your blood be transformed and washed and cleansed and live holy lives, being made in the image of you, Jesus. 
without spot or wrinkle, with no sin, where the devil has no hold on our hearts. Lord, have the victory today. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. I hope this has been helpful to you. We're going to continue tomorrow our study of Second Peter. I love you, my brother, my sister. I wish I could meet all of you. I see your names come up like Joanne or Denise, many others. I wish I could meet you in person. God bless you today. I do love you and I'm praying for you. Oh.